Greg asked me how he could introduce what I was preaching on today, so I said, lust and lies. So he said, oh, I think I'll leave that to you <laughs> to introduce. <laughs> so we're going to head into a bit of lust and deceit this morning. Please would you turn to, to 1 John, chapter 2, verses 15 to 27. We're doing a series in 1 John, a series called Confident. And the reason is that this letter is all about how we can be confident in the fact that we are saved. Um, we can be confident that when Jesus Christ comes back, we don't need to be afraid uh, or fearful. It's all about confidence, how we can live confidently. 1 John 2, verses 15 to 27. I normally stop at half past 10. So do we use the clock that says it's 10 o'clock or the clock that says it's 20 past 8? It was a test. I knew you guys didn't want to listen for that long. 1 John 2, 15. He says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Pretty categorical. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does, does not come from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. That's the section on lust. Then the section on lies. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He's against Christ. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So there are two big themes that run through the book of 1 John. The one is the theme of the word, and the other is the theme of the world. And when John talks about the world, he's referring to the system that is controlled by Satan and is against the purposes of God. It's that whole system that leads people away from God, that is against God, that is antichrist, if you like. And so David Pawson divides up 1 John using those two themes, and this is how he does it. He says that there is a sphere with two hemispheres. The upper hemisphere is controlled by the word, 
And in that hemisphere, those who are children of God experience and walk in life, love, and light. And then the lower hemisphere is controlled by the world, which is where we find lawlessness, lust, and lies. He's a great guy, David Pawson. He always gets things to line up. Do you see all the L's there? It's kind of neat. Um, so then he says that we can actually divide up the whole of 1 John, just so that you can see where we are today. In terms of that, um, the first sermon that Craig did, 1, 1 to 4, was on life. Then the second sermon on light, 1, 5 to 2, 11. And today we're in the middle of lust, lies, and lawlessness. We're not going to quite get to lawlessness, you'll be glad to hear. We'll just stick with lust and lies for the moment. Um, and then after it, he goes back to love and life. But why would we want to consider negative things like lust and lies? And I think we do it for two reasons. The first reason why we're going to spend a bit of time on lust and lies is as a warning. And the second is that by understanding these things and the way that they relate to us as Christians will help to build our confidence so that we can live with confidence. And I'll explain how that works out as we go along. So let's dive into the lust. Uh, verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. So he's very clear there. There isn't space for us to love the world. And remember, the world is the system that is controlled by Satan and is against the purposes of God. We can't love that and love God at the same time. If we love the world, then the love of the Father, which can also be translated for the Father, is not in us. But what does love for the world look like? And in the next verse, John tells us, love for the world is not love at all. It actually changes into something which is horrible, and that is lust. It's the opposite of love. And it's interesting to note that the world system, which Satan uses to control people and to enslave people, uses the principle of lust. And we'll see how that, how that pans out as we go along. So for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Can you see that there are three kinds of lust there? There's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then the boastful pride of life. So, in life, we have desires imprinted into us because we're created in the image of God. Okay? And so God has put a desire in us to enjoy things. Uh, so, for example, the things that we need to live. If we need food to eat, then God has put an enjoyment of eating He's, given it, he's made it pleasurable for us to eat so that we will eat and we'll carry on living. It's the same with drink. It's the same with sex if we want to procre procreate. So God is an amazing God. Not only did he give us these things as a means to life, but he also um, made it or designed it so that we would actually enjoy these things as well. The danger comes when that desire to enjoy things becomes a lust that starts to control us. And that can very easily happen to us, where the lust for pleasure, whether it's um, an addiction to sex, 
um, pornography, alcohol, eating, whatever it is, when that starts to control the way we conduct our lives. And it's very important for us constantly to be aware of that, just to be aware of what is it that's controlling my life. If something like pornography is starting to control the way you use your computer, the way you relate to your wife, um, the hours that you work, then you know that it's starting to, that lust is starting to control you, starting to control your life. And it's a dangerous thing, and it can be the same with eating, it can be the same with alcohol. Then also the desire to obtain things. Once again, the image of God has been imprinted in us, and we we have a desire to have dominion over the world. Gosh, that was an interesting sound. What was that? It was a coffee machine, good heavens. I thought somebody's digestion was on the blink. Okay, so we can actually move on now. So God has given us this desire to have dominion over the world, to go out and to, to manage the world, to achieve things, to do things. And in order to do that, we need to obtain stuff. So um, it, obtain um, machinery, equipment, all the things that we need to, to, to do the things that God wants us to do. Um, in our case, it's to be extending his kingdom through whatever we're doing. He's given us a desire to obtain those things, and he's given us a desire to do things. But the danger, of course, is when we start to get our meaning from the things that we obtain and from the things that we do. And we start to prove ourselves to other people and to God and, and, and we start to, to morph into this idea of the boastful pride of life. I am a person of significance. I am a person of meaning. I'm an impressive person because I own these things and I um, have achieved these things and I've done these things. And of course, we can't impress God. I've said it so often. Can you imagine the, the creator of the universe running off to his angels and saying, wow, look at Ian Ray, he's so impressive. How did he manage that? How did he do that? Wow. You know, God's not impressed. He's pleased by us, but he's not impressed by us. And so when we start to, to, to want to obtain things um, and to do things for the sake of our, for ourselves, then it starts to dominate us. It becomes a lust that starts to manage our lives. It, it influences the way we spend our time. It influences the way we spend our money. It influences our relationships. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, I will not be mastered by anything. So I would encourage you to look out for those signs. What is it that's mastering you or that has a tendency to master you? And then John gives two reasons why we shouldn't be mastered by lust for things of the world. The first one is that lust is from the world. It's part of the system that Satan uses to control people and to oppose God. So why on earth, as members of God's family, would we want to align ourselves to that system? We, wouldn't, we don't want to do it. And then the second reason is that the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Folks, we are set on a path to eternity. So why on earth would we want to be dominated by a lust to accumulate things here and to do things here when we're headed for eternity and those things are not going to come with us? 
they're not going to last forever. You don't have a trailer at the back of your hearse. You can't take those things with you. And so that's why, folks, we want to we live a life where we are mastered by God, where He is in control, where we love Him, and we're setting aside for ourselves fruit that will last for eternity. So how does all of this relate to confidence? Well, there's, there's two aspects here. The first one involves false teachers, and the other one involves all of us. The first one, false teachers. We'll see that in the next section, um, which has to do about lies, that we're living in an age where there is a threat of being deceived by false teachers. And these false teachers are, are governed and motivated by the spirit of the Antichrist. And so we need to make sure that we don't get deceived by people like that. And there were people like that going around the church at the time of John, and there are people going around like that in, in Zimbabwe and in Harare at this time. And one of the ways that we notice them is that they are dominated by the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We can see it in them. We need to be so careful when we listen to preachers, whether it's on TBN or on, on, on the TV, that these are not people who are dominated by those things and who, are not and, and who are teaching us to be dominated by those things, where their message is just simply becoming like a, a self-help lecture. We don't want to be into that, folks, because we'll start to align ourselves to their lusts and their desires, which is to amass things on earth, to do amazing things on earth, and to satisfy our own desires and pleasures in a way that isn't appropriate to the children of God. So let's move on now. To, uh, sorry, the, and, the, and then the second reason, um, so that was the first reason, is that um, we, we can be confident because once we're onto this, once we realize this, we can identify people who are possibly false teachers. Then the second reason is that if we are dominated by lust, or we realize that lust of those, for those various things is starting to control our lives, then we should be feeling insecure. We shouldn't be feeling confident. We should be a bit like that child that's on the edge of a table, and the warning that I'm giving you now is saying, if you're feeling insecure, then you're feeling insecure for a reason. If these things are starting to control you, then do something about it because you're not in a safe place. I'm not saying that you've lost your salvation or that you aren't saved or anything like that. All I'm saying is that simply if you feel insecure, then get to the bottom of why you're feeling insecure. If what I'm saying today is making you feel uncomfortable, then get to the bottom of why it's making you feel uncomfortable and see whether God isn't saying something to you about it. So let's move on now to the lies. Um, we'll look at verse 18. You just read that. I wonder why John uh, is saying that it, it is the last hour. He wrote this 2,000 years ago, didn't he? So he was implying that the return of Christ was imminent. 2,000 years ago, he's saying we're in the last hour. Um, and during that time of history, we can expect to see 
people who are controlled by the spirit of the Antichrist, and then just before Christ returns, the man of ultimate evil, the Antichrist, who is referred to in 1 Thessalonians and in Revelation. So why is it that he says 2,000 years ago that we're just in the last time? Well, here's a diagram um, come up by a, a Bible scholar called Newman, um, and he says that the understanding of the disciples was that before Christ, history was moving towards that line on the, on the right-hand side, which is the end of time, when Christ returns. History is moving towards it. Then after Christ, it's almost like history took a turn, a right-angle bend, and is now carrying on very, very close to the return of Christ. There is a sense, after Christ left, that he could come back at any time. And we are expected to live as though he could come back at any time. We're just on the edge of it. We're just on the cusp of it. And history could collapse over into the end of time at any moment. That's the understanding that the apostles had. And that's the understanding that they want us to have. That we're living as if it could happen at any moment. So how can we be confident knowing that we're living very close to the end times and that the spirit of the Antichrist is out in the world, that there are people who are against Christ and are actively trying to deceive us? Well, John gives us two criteria by which we can identify Antichrists and then he gives us two safeguards against them. And I've had to apply this in my, my own life, interestingly, when I was a, a student at university. So let's have a look at the identifier. What criteria can we use to identify antichrists? Well, criteria number one is found in verse 19. There he says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. Paul is referring to people who at the time were part of the, the community of Christ, they were Christians, they were in the church community, um, they were, appeared to be loving and um, part of that community, supporting other Christians, but then they left. And so what he's saying is that this is one of the ways that you can tell whether someone is controlled by the spirit of the Antichrist. It's because they don't really have a genuine love and concern for other Christians. They don't want to be in community with other Christians. And of course, remember John has got this circular argument we'll see in other parts of the letter where he talks about love. One of the tests of whether someone is a genuine Christian or not is whether they love other Christians. So he uses this as one of the, the first criterion of whether somebody is an antichrist or not. The fact that they were with us and appeared to, to be with us and then left, no longer fellowshipping with us, is an indication. What tends to happen, though, with these kinds of people is they, they leave the fellowship, but they're constantly sniping on the fringes. They're constantly trying to bring people that they knew to their way of seeing things, to their way of understanding things. They bring lies and they bring deception. And that'll bring us on to, to the next one. The other difference, before I move on to the next criteria, is that um, antichrists have not received an anointing. So you, in other words, the recipients of the letter, um, have an anointing from the Holy One. Now John is talking a little bit in code here because he knows that there's a whole 
um, background of teaching that he's already given the recipients and he's clarified other things in, 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 the, in the letter and in his gospel. Um, but he's saying that you have been anointed by the Holy One, Jesus, anointed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the difference between you and these other people is you have the Holy Spirit within you. And we'll come back to that in, in a moment. So that was the first criterion. It's easy to identify people who are controlled by the spirit of Antichrist because they've left the fellowship. They're not concerned about the community, the orthodox community of believers, but they're constantly on the fringes trying to influence people over to their way of believing things. Then the second criterion, they can be identified by the nature of their lives, which has to do with Jesus and who he was. There you can see it in verse 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Once again, it's, it, it's quite difficult to know exactly what John is talking about here unless we look at the rest of the letter and we, unless we look at his gospel. Because what we need to understand is that he's been teaching the church, the early church, for 40 or 50 years. And so there's a whole body of teaching, and he's recorded his teaching in the Gospel of John. And then also there's the cyclic way of arguing in, um, in, in 1 John, where he keeps coming back to things. So what does he mean when he says there that Jesus is the Christ? Well, he has in view quite a lot of things. First of all, that Jesus is divine, that he's fully God, that he's the promised Messiah, and that he's the Son of God. And then later on in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So the Antichrist will deny that Jesus came in the flesh. In other words, Jesus taught, um, sorry, John taught that Jesus was fully man. So let me just sum up here, and then I'll tell you why this is so important. Jesus was one person with two natures. He was one person, yet as he was fully God and fully man. And antichrists can be identified because they lie about these truths. Now, I know that this is covering a lot of ground in a very short space of time. But what you need to sort of file away in the back of your mind is as soon as somebody starts messing with the nature of Christ, then start to be concerned. Because this is one of the criteria that you need to use to identify someone who is being lying and deceitful. So those are the two things. Genuine love for other Christians and have left the community on the, the fringes still sort of involved and trying to influence people and telling lies about the person of Christ. Let's move on now to the safeguards. The first safeguard is abiding. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. What is it that we should let abide in us? It's that which you heard from the beginning. In other words, the truth that Jesus taught and that the disciples taught and which is recorded in the Bible for us. 
So how do we let that truth abide in us? Something that we need to reflect on. I think we allow that truth to abide in us by reading the Bible, by singing about the truth that it contains. I love the fact that John and Charles Wesley decided to write hymns that were rich in doctrine so that when they were singing those hymns, those truths were abiding in the congregation. They were abiding in people's hearts. And because they were sung, people could remember them as well. That's another aspect of allowing the word of truth to abide in you. It's getting to know the scriptures, learning some of the important ones, meditating on them. It's not only reading chunks of scripture or listening to it being read to you, um, but it's also just taking a short bit of scripture and just meditating on it and reflecting on it. And it's teaching our children to do these things. I love that bit where, where Paul says, allow the word of God to abide in you richly as you teach one another and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's all about making sure that we get to know the truth, that the truth starts to abide in us. So that's the first safeguard that we need to have. The second one is the anointing, which I've already mentioned. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, abide in him. Folks, there's this idea that when we become children of God, we are anointed with the Holy Spirit. God puts his Holy Spirit in us. And this is an amazing thing because not only, we, we don't have to just rely on having abided in the truth and knowing the Bible and understanding the Bible. We can also rely on the fact that the Holy Spirit is there speaking to us as well and directing us. And so those two things, the abiding and the anointing, actually work together. They work together. Let me give you an, uh, share an experience with you of how this worked in my own life. When I was um, in university, uh, I was part of the residence fellowship group. Um, it was an organization that worked on campus. So there were different fellowship groups in each residence, um, with leaders in each residence, and then we would get together for fellowship as well. And in the residence that I was in, we had our own little res fellowship group, and I was part of the leadership of that. But there was a guy in our residence, I call him Mike, who wasn't a part of our fellowship group. He didn't really um, fellowship with other Christians. He wasn't in community with them. He wasn't involved in helping and supporting other Christians because we had a lot of help and support in the residence. It's, we'd organized ourselves so that when new Christians came in in first year, that we were helping them to get oriented and, and settled in, that at exam time we were praying for one another, supporting one another. But this guy, Mike, didn't support any of that. He wasn't involved in any of that. And that should have rung a, an alarm bell, shouldn't it? Remember the first criterion? The fact that not concerned for the community, not part of the, the Christian community or anyone else for that matter. So, but I didn't know that. This is just with, with hindsight. Um, and then the, the, the second thing um, about him was that he was, he was always um, engaging the Christians in our residence in debate. 
and trying to convince them that Jesus was not fully God and fully man. And so once again, the alarm bell should have rung with me, but they didn't. But in hindsight, now I can see that that was the second criterion, that it's lies about the person of Christ. And in this place here where it says, um, you don't need anyone to teach you, what these people tend to do is they tend to say, to say no, actually, um, you know, what's in the Bible and all of that is okay, but actually you also need to know what we're teaching you as well. And we don't need that because we've got people in, in, our, in the Orthodox community who are teaching, but we've also got the Holy Spirit in us to help us to discern things. So let's move on to the two um, safeguards. The one thing that did ring alarm bells with me, the first two didn't, the one thing that did was the fact that I'd grown up in the Methodist church and I used to sing the Methodist hymns. And so I knew those hymns really well. And while I was busy talking to him, the one line that came into my mind was, God in three persons, blessed trinity. And I was like, no, surely this, this is wrong. Um, and so at the time, I wasn't really well versed in the whole concept of the trinity and the person of God. But because that was abiding in me, it helped as a safeguard. And I was like, no, I'm sure this is wrong. And then there was also an un uneasiness in me, which I believe came from the Holy Spirit being in me as well. I just wasn't comfortable with this guy. And it's the same for you. You can be confident that you're not going to be lied to, that you're not going to be deceived, and your confidence can rest, first of all, on the fact that you abide in the Word. But someone might say, well, I'm, I mean, I'm a new Christian. I haven't abided that much in the Word. I don't know that much of it. And that's where the second part comes into it, the fact that you have the Holy Spirit within you to give you that feeling of unsettledness so that you can go back to the Bible or back to other Christians and work on these things. So, folks, just in conclusion then, so that we can continue to walk in confidence, just do a little bit of an audit in your life. If you're feeling insecure and not confident, when I was talking about those things of the desire to enjoy things, the lust of the flesh, the lust to obtain things, the lust to desire things, if you find that your life is being controlled by some of those lusts, you should be feeling uncomfortable about it, and you should be feeling insecure and you should be doing something about it. I'm not saying that you, you're not saved or you haven't, that you've lost your salvation. All I'm saying is that you are in a dangerous position. And if you feel insecure, then you need to do something about it. Um, and so this is a bit like a parent saying to the baby on the table, be careful, you're on the edge. You know, you could fall off. That's what this message is about. So just do an audit of those things. And I'm constantly aware of this in my life because there's a part of me that is, is always drawn to abuse um, things, to obtain things, um, to do things. It, it just seems to be something that I'm drawn to. It's something that we're all drawn to. Just keep tabs on it. And then the, the next thing that gives us confidence, folks, is the fact that we have the Holy Spirit in us. Um, it's that Holy Spirit in us that makes sure that we won't get lied to and deceived. 
Um, it's that Holy Spirit that helps us to abide in God. It helps us to understand and interpret the scriptures. Um, and the last thing is abide. Just abide in the, in the truth. Abide in the word of God. Sing these hymns, these songs that we sing, amazing songs that we were singing today, amazing, amazingly rich in theology. Sing those songs. Listen to them in your car. Read the Bible. Talk about these things with your children so that the word of God abides in your family as well. And then we can move forward on the, on the basis of confidence. And I just had a sense, folks, um, just in closing while I was preparing for this, um, just had a sense that everything is accelerating towards the end. You know, there's, there's this idea that, um, that, that the end is a bit like the birth pangs of a lady in labor. So the thing about birth pangs is they become more intense and they become more frequent as you get towards the time of the delivery. And I just get that sense. Everything that we see around the world is becoming more intense, it's becoming more evil, it's becoming more overt. Um, it's also increasing in frequency. Look at the natural disasters coming more and more often than they used to. So I just get the sense that we are approaching the end. And if John is saying that the spirit of the Antichrist is going to be active in these last days, then we need to be equipped for these things. And that's why we talk about these things. Never forget that Jesus was, um, was one, he was, he was fully man and he was fully God. In one person, one person, two natures, a divine nature, a man, a, a man nature. And of course we could, we, we could go on for hours as to why that is significant, important for us. Now is not the time for it. But Paul tells us, uh, John tells us, and that's why we need to know. Should we close together? I would um, just encourage you that if you are feeling uncomfortable, um, or were feeling uncomfortable, particularly when we were talking about the, the lust section, that God is probably making you feel uncomfortable. Well, he is making you feel uncomfortable for a reason. There's a reason for it. Um, it could be that you uh, are, are a little bit confused and there's no, no reason to feel um, insecure, but there could well be good reason to feel insecure. And so either way, just come and, come and chat to one of us or, or chat to someone in the church. Um, Harvest is not a place where people are judged and written off. You're not going to be judged. That's God's job. Um, even Jesus didn't come to judge. It says in the Bible that he came to love the world, he came to save the world, he didn't come to judge the world. When he comes back a second time, then he'll come to judge. We leave that to God. So don't, don't be afraid to come and chat to one of us uh, because we're not going to judge you. We just want to be able to help you to figure out whether you are in a dangerous place and so that you can take steps to overcome that and be reassured and walk forward in confidence. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this, for this word. We thank you that we can be confident um, going forward into the future, even in, in the midst of such a dangerous world, that we have your Holy Spirit in us, that we can be safe, and that you will help us to get across the finish line. 
We commit ourselves to you and we pray that we would honor and glorify you this week. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.